We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to a live Brooklyn Buzz on Periscope. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up? Every day we be losing. <laughs> it's it's felt like that, especially in 2020. Nets dropped one to the Lakers. You know, it was pretty much a blowout. Before we get started, as always, oh, quick reminder, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, Google Play, and Blue Wire Pods. And I forgot I'm streaming and not podcasting with staring at the mic. Boy. But, uh, but, Jack, where do you want to start with this one? Obviously, the game started great, but it just went downhill probably at the end of the third quarter. Yeah, I think the third quarter, that last sort of 30 seconds, Jared Dudley doing the chest bumps to literally every Los Angeles Lakers official and teammate in sight. You could see the momentum really switched there. And at the end of the day, the Nets couldn't get back from that. The I think that they went on like an 8-0 run or 5-0 run to start it off and then they kept extending the lead and the Nets couldn't get it back and you know, the Nets offense was really stagnant. The, our fourth quarters continued to be a worry, you know, 19 points. I think we had like two points in, at, at like the five-minute mark or something like that. You know, the Nets offense was really good in the first half, you know, to score 70 points against the Los Angeles Lakers, one of the best defensive teams in the league is is a hell a heck of a feat in, in many sorts but we also gave up 75 points so it's a bit of a yin and a yang and that was the essentially tonight's game yeah it felt like the nets were playing with fire in this game because you know they were lighting it up offensively but you knew they weren't going to be able to keep the pace especially against a lakers team that's played good defense this season and they also shot a really nice percentage from three and then defensively the lakers are getting plenty of wide open looks not to mention the lakers also i mean the nets also were putting like spencer dimity on lebron james and you knew that just was never going to work as soon as we saw nicholas claxton and deandre jordan out nick you know you had to sort of have a little bit of a worry i spoke about it in a, in a pre-game periscope and you know we heard that wilson chandler already on the courts will be playing a little bit more i thought wilson chandler was great tonight and i thought that at times 
you know, Rodion's was, it wasn't his best game of the season. Uh, that's for sure. Jared Allen was okay. Um, and I think that their size and physicality just really outmatched us. LeBron James continued to do his thing. Another triple-double for him. The man is a monster. You know, he defies age and physics and all the different physiologies for a man of his age and his stature. He is an absolute monster. And I thought that there could have been some adjustment made, adjustments made. You know, there were some moments for the Nets where they had the opportunity to really sort of get themselves back in it, but they couldn't really execute. And it's been a, a tale for essentially what's been happening these past sort of 13 games or so. They've been in it, and then they just sort of throw it away with mistakes and, and not being able to execute on the offensive end. Yeah, and they just have these plays that are terrible. Like we mentioned, at the end of the third quarter, you know, they had an opportunity to kind of keep the game close. Next thing you know, Rodion's turns the ball over. Jared Dudley hits one at the buzzer. It just was consistently those things. You mentioned adjustments. I thought from the start, I didn't really love the starting lineup, especially matching up against this giant Laker team, even without JaVale McGee. Who would you have had in there? I think I would have, I, like I mentioned to you, I think the lineup that I wanted to see tonight, this didn't have to be the starting lineup, but I wanted to see, you know, Allen, Chandler, and Rodion's out there, or even Torian Prince instead of Rodion's out there. So you at least have three legit forwards you could throw at the Lakers instead of just being like, all right, I'm going to get outmatched every single play. And that kind of felt like the case. Yeah, I think size matters against a lot of teams. You know, we've seen that against the Philadelphia 76ers. Teams that have that, you know, extra bit of size and physicality tend to really bully the Nets in, in a lot of regards. You know, Dwight Howard did it did it a few times against Jared Allen and tonight we certainly could have used even a DeAndre just to have an extra body out there. Nicholas Claxton just to have another guy six ten above. The Nets really struggled and the, it was, a, I guess, probably what really gave the, the Lakers an impetus because sometimes those offensive boards, those putbacks, those blocks on the defensive end, they really give a team energy. Yeah, especially because I felt like there was a couple possessions where Jared Allen did an excellent job on Anthony Davis, but they had Torian Prince on Dwight Howard and obviously he just was able to grab the offensive board and go straight up. And, you know, it just is deflating as a team when you have a good defensive possession, then you give up the offensive rebound and they're going to get an instant score. Yeah, it's it really does deflate the team, Nick. And I think that tonight the, the Nets had some plays that were positive, but you know just not enough good ones. And the Lakers, being the team that they are, were just able to answer. And there were some times where you just got a little bit frustrated. I know that there was that thirteen point lead, then it got cut down, and you're like, all right, the Nets are back in this. And then you know, like you said, that fourth quarter, the start of the fourth, the end of the third, was like nine points in like forty seconds or something like that. But should we dive deep into the players? Yeah, let's dive deep into the players. You want to start with the most disappointing player, the most positive performance, most appointing player. Um, who do you think was the Nets' best player tonight, Nick? It's a really great question, Jack. I mean, it's tough to say. It felt like guys had stretches where they were pretty good and then other stretches where they were terrible. And I feel like that was kind of the net season, the way the stretch has gone. Like, I thought Karis LeVert was really good in that first half. Second half, he kind of disappeared. You know, Spencer was good in the aspect of facilitating, but he couldn't hit a three tonight at all. Then Torian Prince had a couple nice transition buckets, but then rebounding-wise and defensively made a couple bad plays. I mean, I didn't even think Kyrie played really well. I thought he had a couple terrible passes. He tried to force it too much. Uh I mean, I like Jared Allen's game. I didn't think he really played a bad game considering it was two-on-one most of the night. Yeah, I thought that Jared Allen was okay. I didn't think it was an amazing game. I thought it was a good game from him. I would say Kyrie was probably the best player, but again, he did, was also minus 26 in plus minus. So in terms of being out there when it mattered, you know, he was almost a negative in some ways, but he also was a, when he need, when we needed a bucket and to get things going, Kyrie did create things. It was good to see his three ball working, three of six from there and him looking to attack it. You know, a national TV, Kyrie certainly did step up. 
I mean, I'll probably do a breakdown of Kyrie Irving, but if Karis Avert had at least played somewhat decent basketball in the second half, it probably would have been him because his his first half and, and with that second unit, I thought the Nets really gained an advantage at times with him, you know, leading the, the likes of Wilson Chandler and those guys out with the sort of five that were on the floor because I thought the Nets did have an advantage when those five were on the floor. But then you see KCP and Rondo hitting threes and Jared Dudley, all these guys, and it just it sort of wiped away all the sort of momentum and confidence that the Nets did gain. Yeah, and just to talk about Karras a little bit more, I love the fact what he did with the second unit, like you mentioned. He also did a great job of getting in front of the rim and forcing the defense to respect him and sometimes drawing in two players. You know, he was working that little floater shot as well. You know, Kyrie, like you mentioned, he had some moments where, like, okay, he really wanted to win this game, a couple steals, a couple hustle plays that we don't necessarily see on a regular basis. But for me, just some of the four shots and the four turnovers kind of stuck out. I guess you could make an argument Wilson Chandler was the best performing net considering what he's asked of. Yeah, uh, I think that's a that's a fair point. I, I think I haven't done a Wilson Chandler breakdown yet. I would probably have gone with him as well. So give a bit of diversity. I thought that, you know, he, he looked confident. His size, he seemed to just fit out there. And, you know, there have been times where, you know, he started hitting that three ball and just looked so much better. You know, four of six from there, five or seven from the field overall. Got a dime, got a, got a steal as well. Um, was one of the few nets to be, you know, not necessarily a negative. He was only minus one overall, despite playing 22 minutes. You know, him and Karras were leading the minutes in, in terms of the guys off the bench. So for me, I thought he was really, really good. And I thought that he fit and he showed that he can be a, a real contributor for this team against teams, you know, I know against like the Sixers, against these sort of bulkier teams that have a bit more size about them, Wilson Chandler should be playing extended minutes. Yeah, he did a nice job with the pick and pop, especially when they were playing Dwight and, you know, Dwight wasn't going to come out of the paint. He was able to hit a couple threes and kind of open up the offense. I didn't really mind him. I thought he did a nice job as a backup center, obviously, against maybe a shorter team or a less talented front court. I think it would work even better. Yeah, definitely. I think that, especially because he looks confident, he makes the right plays. He's he's quite a, an intelligent player. You know, those vets generally are. He's almost just like a, a more sizable, uh, more reliable Jared Dudley at this point of his career. Yeah, and he doesn't quite talk as much. I think, you know, Dudley's a good communicator, though. So yeah. I'll, I'll leave that as like a positive, too, for Dudley. Um, let's talk about Torian Prince, because I feel like you look at the stat line, you're like, oh, this was a really nice game for Torian Prince, but the three turnovers stuck out, some of the decision-making he made, then also, like, I felt like he wasn't giving Jared Allen the necessary help inside, and obviously that's a tough task for him not being the biggest player, but it felt like at times he kind of just left it to Jared Allen down there to defend AD and Dwight. Yeah, I've raved about Torian Prince's rebounding of late. So for him to only get three of them tonight, and no net was in double figures at all. You know, the, the leading rebounder for us tonight was Jared Allen with six. No, sorry, eight. He had six defensive and, and two offensive boards. You know, the Nets had 33 overall to uh, 41 for, uh, for the Lakers. And, you know, Davis and James really led the way there. You know, Dwight Howard had six offensive boards by himself. You know, Torian Prince... I remember I was I was thinking back just the, the the thought popped in to my head was thinking about the preseason game against the Lakers and how good Torian Prince was defending Anthony Davis and now it's the regular season the games actually matter and he wasn't he, <laughs> he started off he was getting cooked big time he started off the game okay you know Kyrie was looking for him he hit a couple of threes you know he was okay offensively if you're looking at his box score but in terms of what we need from him defensively he was he wasn't good enough. Yeah, you'd expect more to Torian Prince. I think he like showed us flashes of good defense and good decision-making in the first chunk of the season. And then he's, as he was asked to be in a bigger role, he's just gotten worse and worse. And 
I don't know what to expect from him moving forward. You kind of mentioned he's like a bipolar player where one game or one even one quarter, one stretch, he looks great. And then the next stretch, it's like, how is he even playing starter minutes? Yeah, it's 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 hard to sort of think. You know, I, I've called him a bipolar player. He, he can provide so much and then provide so little. And, you know, what takes you from being a decent player to a good player to a great player is consistency. You know, the best players and the, even relatively good rotation players perform consistently. You know what you can get out of them. And I think from a lot of the guys on the Nets roster over this stretch, we haven't been able to see that at all, really. You know, they've been a real inconsistency across the board. And, you know, inconsistent basketball is not going to win you games. You know, we don't have the the, the LeBron James, the Luka Doncic, the Kawhi Leonard that can just sort of drag us to victory if all the other guys aren't performing well enough. You know, Kyrie Irving is good enough, but he's not a 1A guy on a... On a we don't have Kevin Durant. We don't have yeah. that guy on the roster right now. So the Nets need to play better team basketball if they want to get back on the winner's list. Yes, we have an easy stretch coming up, but the way we've been playing, we've been playing as bad as some of these teams. Yeah, we've been rough. Like, there's stretches where, you know, you mentioned the players being so inconsistent. It just feels like a team thing because even in this game, it's like, for time, at times, you're like, oh, wow, the Nets are kind of holding on against the Lakers. Obviously, they're not 100% committed, and it's not a playoff game or anything like that. But you're like, wow, this is really positive. And then all of a sudden, you look at the end of the third quarter, that fourth quarter, and it's like, how bad is this team? It's just like they need to find some type of consistency. You know, I think Spencer mentioned it. You know, they haven't had the same rotation almost all season long, and that's impacted them. But over this next stretch is going to be enormous for this team to find some type of consistent rotation and consistent style of play because it even feels like from quarters to games that they have different identities. Yeah, and you know, we developed like this defensive identity in the absence of some of our superstars. And then at the start of the season, we we're all offense, no defense. And now we just don't have anything. You know, it's, <laughs> it seems like we're just in the middle of both of them. And it's just like, where's the offense gone? Where's the defense gone? There's just neither of them are there. And it's incredibly frustrating because we know what the Nets can be on both sides of the floor. Yes, the David Nwaba injury and the Ahmad Chumpet being lost to the team certainly hurts the defensive end, but it's not the be-all and end-all. Yes, Kyrie Irving having to mesh now with Carol Severn and Spencer Dinwiddie isn't ideal, but you would rather have three good, healthy players available and have to work that out than you know not have them available and sort of have force it all on Spencer Dinwiddie to lead the team because there's just uh, it's it's hard to find the answers because there are so many like in inconsistencies and issues within this team there's a myriad of problems and it's hard to pinpoint where the answers are going to come from and some it's on the coaching staff some it's on the players executing it's a myriad of of problems within this franchise i mean even going from the first half to the second half i mean the net scored 70 points in the first half they scored 43 in the second half like, if that's not a tale of two halves and two different teams, obviously the pace slowed down. The Lakers didn't score as much either. But it's like the Nets stopped doing the things that were working for them offensively. And it felt like they didn't hardly got any transition buckets in that second half. Yeah, I thought that in the first half, that's what we looked really good. Yeah. You know, Kyrie really pushing the pace. Spencer, guys really pushing the ball out. And, you know, you put the pressure on the defense and you put the pressure on a good defensive team by making them, by forcing them to not be in their sets. When you don't have five men back there, it's a lot easier to attack the basket. It's a lot easier to get transition to threes and really put the stranglehold on a really good defensive team. So for us, it wasn't good enough and we weren't able to get those opportunities. A lot of it was the Lakers making their shots. A lot of it was, what, was us not rebounding as well in the second half. It was just 
another really inconsistent second half from a team that has been incredibly inconsistent of late. I think I would personify, it's a word that personifies this Nets team over the past 10 to 15 games. Yeah, they've been inconsistent, and honestly, they've been kind of bad. You know, they've been a bad team. You're not winning games. You're losing a ton of games. And I think, what, they're five or six games under 500 right now, and things aren't looking great. Like you mentioned, this upcoming stretch is going to be huge. But how much do you think of this of this loss, or just in general, the team not finding a synergy and the style of play consistently changing is on the coaching? On the coaching, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, you want me to put a percentage on it, Nick, I guess? Yeah, let's go with a percentage. We love those. Yeah, we do. We do. We love to put, put numbers to abstract concepts that are very hard to, to think about. Uh, I'll go as high as 20%. I don't think it's it's massive, maybe 25%, a quarter. But at the end, I've always said this on every single podcast when it comes to talking about coaching the players and that synergy between the two. Players need to execute. There is a, a winning game plan in there. And I, I think that the Nets showed that there was one because we played really good basketball offensively and put pressure on the Lakers and we're able to really score and hit our threes. But when we don't hit our shots, what do we do? Do we turn up the defense? No, we don't because we, when you miss those shots, you have to get back in transition and our transition D has been a little bit porous of late. So in that sort of sense, I think that there is a, an element of coaching where Kenny needs to be a bit more proactive. I think that's a key word that I use with him quite a bit. But at the same time, you know, we have a decent enough rotation. You know, looking at guys who aren't on Nets Twitter and more sort of general NBA Twitter, they're like, look, I don't mind the Nets rotation. It's just that these guys aren't executing and the Lakers, you know, role players are. And I think when you have your superstars leading the way, they follow that example. Kyrie Irving, when he had his moments in the first half and that, you know, that, that little play on, on LeBron and, and the little bit of banter back and forth there, but then AD goes bang and, uh, blocks the the heck out of him, and, and he goes that one's for LeBron. It was a fu- it was fun. It was fun in instances, but those sort of plays lift them. And you know when Spencer Dinwiddie isn't hitting shots, you know it certainly doesn't help either. But I, I think our our younger players, our role players, look to our leaders for consistency. And right now, you know that they haven't been able to to do it enough. And I think that there is, a, a, in terms of in comparison to last year, a lack of chemistry off the court, which is showing on the court. And, you know, I think that last year we played better than the sum of our parts. And right now, you know, preseason predictions, we thought the sum of our parts this season, you know, our rotation and the players that we have on the roster are generally better overall, but the synergy isn't there on the court. And some of that does have to do with the coaches. But for me, uh, it's not a huge number. Yeah, I think some of the synergy too has to do with injuries. I'd probably go a little bit higher to like 33%, a third. Because I think at some points it's like, Kenny is almost setting them up for failure. Like I kind of mentioned with the starting lineup, like putting a lineup out there of Spencer Dinwiddie, Kyrie, Joe Harris, Torian Prince, and Jared Allen going against Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Danny Green, and Avery Bradley. It's going to be really tough to win right off the bat because your guys are outmatched physically, not only from a height perspective, but from a, a weight perspective and a strength perspective. And it kind of makes sense. The Nets were able to kind of run with them in the first half, but they got a little bit tired in that second half, I would assume, because they're banging with guys who are a lot bigger than them. And I think sometimes, you know, we've talked about this on other shows on the outlet, Nick Nurse is willing to get crazy. And I'd like to see Kenny willing to just like throw things out the window. This is a different game. I need to match up with my bigs and I need to give my team an opportunity to win. And just feels like at times he doesn't do that. And I think like 
the zone defense is starting to drive me nuts because there's points where it just doesn't work and he overuses it or it's not working against this certain lineup of players. Like there's certain lineups where I think the zone defense is a great choice to go with or if you're trying to switch things up. But at certain times it becomes like, oh, the Nets are trying to run zone and the team just got five wide open threes. And that's that's part of his own defense. You know what I mean? Like you're going to give up an open shot because you're not playing man-to-man. I think there's this idea with the Nets is when they play man-to-man, they play strictly man-to-man, no help defense. When they play zone, they help each other. It's like if they can combine these two, like most NBA teams do, when you play man-to-man, you can still help your team out. It feels like that's where the Nets really fall down defensively. Yeah, I thought in the early parts of the first quarter where we saw that zone, I thought it was working a little bit. And the Lakers aren't an amazing three-point team. They shot above themselves tonight. 50%. Yeah, and that's that's an aberration, and and some of that was just them hitting tough shots. Some of that was bad defense from the Nets. I think that you know overall it is just a, a lack of defensive communication, a lack of synergy on that end of the floor. And you know sometimes you know there's just guys who are just out of out of whack, and they just don't understand. Yeah. And sometimes the the IQ of some of our guys is is a little bit lackadaisical. And Nick, we got a comment to heal uh, preaching. Karis is our Westbrook. League worst at shots. He won't stop taking them, but Levert is even worse. Wowee. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. I think Karras is starting to get his <laughs> rhythm back. You know, obviously in that first half he was really good. But also this is kind of getting to the coaching staff and maybe I don't think they've found like the right, you know, lineup and rotation for guys to really get in sync. And also their roles are consistently changing. And maybe this roster right now just isn't fitting the style that Kenny wants to play. You know what I mean? Like, so many guys are good drivers, and they're not necessarily amazing three-point shooters. Like, Spencer's able to knock down his three threes tonight. It's a different game. But he was ice cold, and you could tell from the start, and the Lakers were like, hey, we're going to let him shoot his threes. And I feel like you don't necessarily have to respect a ton of the Nets three-point shooters, and their system is based off of shooting threes. It's just like you're going to be in trouble offensively. So maybe they need to make some type of adjustment to the system, or maybe it's just this roster doesn't fit the system that Kenny wants to play. Yeah, it could be, it's probably, like with most questions and ponderings, I think it's probably a little bit of all of it. I think that there is some issues with the roster construction. And, you know, when we are at our uh, you know, championship sort of mentality, I think that there are some guys in this roster that probably won't fit it. You know, maybe we are a little bit too guard heavy. Maybe Joe Harris doesn't fit this. Maybe Jared Allen doesn't have the physicality to really be a bruiser out there. It's interesting. I, I think that you're better better off having these issues than sort of last year i think it's probably more frustrating for most frustrating for nets fans because there are a little bit higher expectations that the pressure is on the team now to perform this season is sort of a, a prove it year for for many guys on the roster you know karan butler was sort of saying that Kyrie was speaking his truth so to speak when he was mentioning those guys and i got a little bit angry because you know he, he didn't mention my boy joe harris and he didn't mention you know jared allen but Joe Harris has been really poor of late. He's really struggles against the physical teams. He's was he was two or five from three. He was okay from there, but you know three turnovers again. He seems to turn the ball over a little bit too much. And you know I've heard from different sources, and I'm not saying that I'm worried. I'm just reading articles, but I'm just saying that you know, he says he sees that he's tired, and the the China experience and the World Cup had that on him. And maybe he is. You know he did only play 26 minutes tonight, and normally he's one of the Nets leaders in that area. So. But at the same time, the Nets did have three days break, so that should be no yeah. excuse. You know, you are a professional athlete, and you know you see Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown playing some perfectly good basketball down there in Boston, and it's not that Joe Harris is an unfit player; he's an incredibly fit guy. And so for, for me, you know, Joe Harris's slump has certainly been frustrating. 
uh, because I put so much so high expectations on him and I'm one of the biggest stands and that's sort of when it comes to him. But at the same time, you know, I've got to give my boy uh, a little bit of criticism where it is due. And right now it is, you know, the Nets need him to really space the floor, really be aggressive, really take the shots and really play smart basketball. I thought there were a couple of times tonight where I thought his defense was okay. I think mm-hmm. that... Again, if you just give his mentality to Toy and Prince, it'd just be like, all right, well, then we don't necessarily need a Joe Harris on this yeah. roster because we've got Toy and Prince can shoot threes and we can, we've got a guy who shows effort and engagement on the defensive end. Joe Harris shows effort and engagement, but he doesn't have the physical tools of Toy and Prince. It's just like you're sort of saying with the pieces available, Nick. If we could somehow get them all working, it's just like we're, we're like a, a car that sort of like spurt, sputters and splurts. We get things going a little bit and then we break down. We get things going a little bit and then we like break down. We've got to go to the mechanics. We've got a, a few things tuned up. It's all right. And then it breaks down again like two weeks later. We have like a really good run with it. Oh, everything's running smoothly. And then you hear something rattling again. And that's just what's uh, – that's us on defense. That's us on offense. And um, my analogy, I'm quite proud of that. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it because it fits really well. Like you're on a 60-mile trip. Nets look good for the first 45 miles. And all of a sudden the car breaks down. And the other, the other car is passing you. And you're done. Like that's just how the Nets is. And I think – some of Joe Harris's struggles definitely is China. Like, it's just a different experience for him. He's not used to playing summer basketball. And I think the Nets also ask, like, maybe a little bit too much of Joe Harris. Like, we've kind of hinted at it in the past. Just asking the Fen guys that are so much bigger than him on a nightly basis, I think it takes a toll. Like, he's physically outmatched on a regular basis. Like, he's not a small forward. He's a shooting guard. That's the position he can play, especially because he doesn't necessarily have the athleticism to make up for that lack of size. So some of it, I think, you know, is Joe's not playing up to his standards, but some of it's just they're asking him to do too much. Then also feels like at times Joe Harris and Torian Prince try to do too much because they're used to doing it for that past month in December. There was one play in this game, I think it was the start of the third quarter, Torian Prince tried to take Anthony Davis one-on-one and shot a fadeaway jumper. Like, no, no, I don't even want Kyrie doing that. So why are you doing it? Yeah, whenever that, as soon as that play happened, I'm just like, dude, really? <laughs> like, you're not like DeMar DeRozan. You're not like a mid-range king. And and Anthony Davis, one of the def- defensive player of the year candidates, it's just like, it's a bad shot and, and it's dumb basketball. And, and Toyin Prince just ha- makes too many dumb plays. You know, Joe Harris, I think, is, if you're comparing the two, two of our key role players, Joe Harris tries to do more but he tries to do more within his range. Yeah. Like he's trying to drive. He's he's trying to make the right plays, but he's not real. He doesn't have the the skill set to go. All right, I can kick this out, or I can make this you know outlet pass. You know, at the rim, he just continues to go. All right, well, I'm just going to keep driving here, even if it's Rudy Gobert or if it's Anthony Davis. He doesn't have, and maybe that's on his teammates as well, not being the options there, not making cuts. It seems to me that we can play some lazy basketball. It's frustrating, but you know, being also eleven and twelve at home, not giving our home fans a bit of love that that's that's frustrating too. And uh, I think there's a lot of problems within this roster, Nick. And you know, coaching can be some of it. The players are some of it. You know, I, I think that hopefully you get a bit of confidence with with a few more wins back on track. But you know, the the Bulls are certainly you know at right there. The Detroit Pistons are you know they had a big win against the Sacramento Kings, and right now the Nets aren't playing any any better than those teams, uh, if at all. Yeah, I think what they need to do right now is, uh, and not to say that this coaching is going to make all the difference, but I think make like a big change to the starting lineup or the rotations or something just to change everything up. Because right now, whatever they're doing is not working to really any extent. It's working for stretches, but not for the complete game. Like you mentioned, they need some type of winning streak to kind of change how things are going, or this could probably turn into one of the most disappointing seasons in Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean, it's when you have expectations and you don't meet them, you know, I think the Nets right now 
I've, I've had an article that was probably, I guess, you know, I've said that the Wizards could finish with the third seed last year. I said that the Nets could finish with the third seed this year. And um, I am as off base as you can get with that. And I'm happy to eat my own words because there are a plethora of teams in both conferences that are better than the Brooklyn Nets right now. It's just, I think, with a lot of the things we've said about this team, Nick, it's frustrating because we see so much potential within the players individually and then collectively we have moments and it's just not sustainable enough for a long time to truly count yourself as a, as a decent enough contender. And the Nets aren't a contender. And I don't think KD solves everything. And I know people are advocating for a Sergio Barker and, and, and other moves around the wings and KD and Kyrie have got their eyes on some guys. Yeah, that, that's cool. But at the end of the day, right now, what matters is what who is on this roster right now making it work. So you as the, the leader in the locker room, Kyrie Irving, Coach Kenny being the leader of the, the entire franchise in a way, and Sean Marks keeping an eye on things on the wings. Everyone really needs to step up to get us back to you know a, a bit more respectability because right now we're, we're the butt of a lot of jokes and we deserve those jokes for a lot of it because we're not playing good enough basketball for us to not be a, a joke-worthy team in a lot of respects. We're not that bad, but we're, we are pretty poor. Considering the talent we have, I think that's what makes you look at it and like, hey, they're bad. Like Kyrie Irving, one of the best point guards in the NBA. Spencer Dinwiddie, who played like a fringe all-star. Karis Avert had those moments in the postseason last year. Jared Allen looking like one of the top centers in the league or rising center in this league. And then Joe Harris, you know, one of the best three-point shooters. Torian Prince has that big preseason. Then it comes to the regular season and it's all kind of a letdown. And I think one thing that you can say about the Nets, it's hard to say anybody on this roster is playing better than they did last season other than maybe Spencer Dinwiddie, but some of that's just more, I think, a higher usage rate. Yeah, that's a, a very fair point, I think. Maybe Jared Allen. I think Jared Allen has taken some steps. I think he just looks a bit more confident, but I think that it's a, it's a very minor step, if that, and you can certainly make an argument that he hasn't made the, the requisite steps to, to really go forward. Um, uh, another quick question, Nick, from uh, Sahil as well. Who would fit better with KD and Kyrie, Joe Harris or a slightly bigger guy but not as great of a shooter? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, it also depends on who you're playing at small forward. If you're playing KD at small forward, if you have a power forward, I think that all matters. I mean, I don't mind playing Joe Harris at two guard. I also don't mind bringing Joe Harris off the bench at certain times because I don't think it's the worst idea. It makes him kind of stay fresh or he has easier matchups defensively. He can knock down threes. He's probably going to get more open looks. So I don't think the Nets necessarily have to move Joe Harris. They just might be moving him out of the starting lineup. I think one guy... Yeah that I'm looking at that maybe not for this season, but I think in the summer that would be a good fit considering the lapses they have defensively, but still needing that three-point shot would be a guy like Robert Covington. Yeah, he seems to be the, the guy that everyone seems <laughs> yeah. to want. And I, I, it's about the, the assets and the, that contract is is a Beautiful. really sort of not, it's a, it's a very nice number for so many teams. That's why he is so coveted Covington <laughs> is coveted but yeah I think Covington would be an ideal fit he can still shoot the three ball quite well you know a lot of guys bring up Aaron Gordon his contract is a little bit more elevated in terms of his athleticism and uh, I've seen articles where uh, I think it was Zach Lowe spoke about in his 10 things where there's just a an identity crisis with, with Aaron Gordon in terms of what he wants to be what the magic want him to be and what he could potentially be and and maybe a, a change of scenery within Brooklyn would help him provide that you know I'm I would still prefer to go star hunting uh, and you know we spoke about a, a little bit um on the periscope before the game about you know guys like you know Anthony Davis and Carlton Towns even though there's rumors that you know they really really want to keep him and he's that he's their guy Bradley Beal's obviously quite unhappy uh, in Washington you know three stars is better than two 
and yeah. you know the, the Lakers went hard. Right now, it's it's a superstar duo league, but I think that I would rather have that third superstar. Uh, and I, I think to answer the question, I still think Joe Harris. I, I just echo your sentiments, Nick. You know, I don't think he needs to start. I think that he can play against the second units as long as you still have a Toy and Prince there to still provide space to the floor. Robert Cummington as well. You know, Katie and Kyrie are still great shooters as well. So it's not like they need a, a heap of extra spacing around them as well. Maybe you need a defensive stopper yeah. um, in, in a guy like a, a Josh Koji. I'm not saying he's available, but I'm just thinking of just pure defense guys that kind of silly. PJ Tucker, you know, a guy who can just hit those three balls from the corner as well. You know, I think we do need a quality defender. I, yeah. I think we that's that's a real key need. And Aaron Gordon is it probably is, doesn't solve things either because I think that he is, is similar to Toyan Prince as, as like a, a guy who's shown potential but hasn't put it all together yet. Yep. And is Brooklyn the place where he does that? I don't know. He certainly could. But I, I do think that there might have to be a trade that needs to be made. And the Nets need a really good defender. And, you know, we had David Nwaba as probably our best individual defender in terms of his defensive talent. And we lost that. And, you know, a lot of our defensive identity really did go away. And that's from David Nwaba, a guy who's a, who's a fringe rotation player. We need a really great defender to sort of really solidify this team. You know, guys like even just like a Mo Harkless, Rodney Magruder, these sort of wing types that can just sort of chuck in there and just, just play defense. That's all they're asked to do. You know, in the starting lineup for, for the Utah Jazz, Royce O'Neal starts, and all he does is play defense and scores like five points a night, but he provides them with a semblance of balance, and the Nets have no balance. Yeah, and you mentioned a guy like Aaron Gordon, and like, if you asked me last season if the Nets should have traded for Aaron Gordon, I might have said yes, because I felt a lot more confident in their ability to develop talent, but now that things got sped up so much and it's all about winning, I don't know if that player development is... So is such as valuable as it was in previous seasons because now it's all like things are moving forward and it just doesn't feel that way because like going to the year like we talked about guys haven't gotten better we thought Rodion's was going to take a jump you know he hasn't taken that jump some of it's been minutes some of it's been the legal issues Jared Allen yeah he's probably gotten better but he still has inconsistent moments you know Spencer Dinwiddie I didn't think was going to get a lot better I thought Karis Vert would take a jump you know injury wise has kind of hurt him so there's just these different angles across the board but I agree defensively they need something because right now it's just like asking Jared Allen to be this amazing defensive player, like even better than Rudy Gobert, considering how bad the guys are at playing on-ball defense. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. And star hunting will be fun, but I'm not sure if the, any of the stars will help them on both sides of the ball or help them defensively. Uh, Frankie Tamaris, Nick, uh, what about MKG? An expiring contract can defend multiple positions. Kenny is a fan of him. Would get him really cheap. I mean, it's kind of worth the flyer, but I'm, I'm in the number that I think he's at around $10 million. So you'd have to give up something for him. And the Nets are already, you know, really pushing themselves into that luxury tax. I don't hate it. You know, I, I think that he probably would be a better fit in the net system than he is there in Charlotte. And he would get a, a decent enough go. But I think the number of his contract, the player himself, I think is a, a really good fit, Frankie. But the the number on his contract, I, I, I unfortunately don't know how it works and i think to be honest it would just be like bringing rhj in you know it'd be like having ronde here and going with him again because i don't think necessarily a guy dropped out oh sorry jack i said it'd be pretty much like going with ronde you know it's yeah it'd be a similar thing to that and to be honest i think uh, michael kidd gilchrist is a worse player than ronde and i think the lack of three-point shot is just really tough for the nets because I mean, obviously getting KD back is going to make things so much easier offensively, but I still think they want at least a competent three-point shooter out there. Yeah, I think that KD solves a lot of issues, I think, in, in some respects when you have one of the five best players 
he was the best player in the league before he did get injured. Who knows where how he will come back? But yeah, you, it's uh, it's a team game basketball, and as good as you can have a the best player, one of the top five players in the league, and you're going to be a championship contender. It's about the role players and the team construction around that. Look what's going on in Dallas right now. They've got good pieces around Luka Doncic. Uh, you look at what's happening in Houston in terms of James Harden. The pieces around him are, are much lesser than when they were really at their best with Chris Paul, Trevor Reza at, at a much better rate. Your know, team construction does matter, and I guess, like I sort of mentioned, you know, these guys are all sort of figuring out, and Coach Kenny and Sean Marks are keeping an eye on whether these guys do fit within that scheme, and they can play good enough defense, they can hit enough three balls. What good role players do provide energy plays, all those little things that the bit that the superstar players shouldn't be asked to do. Yeah, and I think the Nets are going to be an opportunity this summer where they can move some of these younger players or some of these fringe all-stars or whatever you want to call them and get the perfect role players to put around KD and Kyrie and maybe or they go the star route. But uh, this is one thought I had prior to the game and I wanted to ask you about it. I think this kind of looks at Kyrie and his success and you'd say the most success Kyrie's ever had was in Cleveland when he played next to LeBron, who was ultimately a point guard. And I think what we saw in the Nets in the first half they really went cooking offensively when Spencer played that facilitator role and had 11 assists. I think one thing that I made a mistake on, and I think going to the season, that you view Kyrie as a point guard, but I think at the end of the day, he's not really a facilitator. I don't think he does a great job of setting up the offense. I think he does a better job when other people are setting up things for him. So it's like, can KD help in that aspect? Or do the Nets need to bring in some type of player that can be the facilitator next to Kyrie, which is a tough ask considering he's 6'3 and he's going to play point guard. Can they find a 2 or 3 or a 4 that can help initiate things offensively? Because I feel like Kyrie at his best is when he's able to focus on scoring and get some touches off ball. I think Spencer can do that. I think Spencer really does have the capabilities to do that. And he had a couple of times the- tonight that I haven't really seen from him in a month. I think that in terms of what we've asked from Spencer in his tenure within the organization, he has been asked to do so much in so many different roles. And every single time he has stepped up to the plate, if you ask him to become a facilitator, I reckon he can do it. I reckon he can really hone in on that and become sort of like a a sort of passing defender, sort of like a a better version of what Rajan Rondo is right now. Um, OC Cali boy thinks that the Nets need to go for Mark Jackson. All right, let's not talk about Mark Jackson. He can stick to make horrible commentary and calling Zion fat for half the game um but in in that sense when you're talking about uh, the facilitator role Nick I I understand but in terms of what's going on with the Clippers right now they really lack a ball handler and yes Darren Collison is, is a guy that they do want but for me I think that it can be overrated I think Kevin Durant is an underrated passer mm. I think Kyrie Irving is a decent enough passer yes LeBron James is an otherworldly passer but I think Spencer Dimity can be the best you know, sort of facilitator on the roster. I think he can initiate a lot. He's really good in finding his bigs in the pick and roll. You know, he has he has control and momentum. He is an incredibly intelligent player um, at the on the best of days as well. So for me, in, in that sort of respect, I think Spencer Dimity could be that guy. I don't think you necessarily need to search the market for it because I think Spencer has the capabilities within his skill set and also the the lack of ego to be able to go, look, if this is what the team needs for a championship, I can do it. Do you think that we could see that from Spencer moving forward a little bit more? Because he did have some nice success being that facilitator early on, playing with Kyrie, hitting up other guys. And I think there also were some missed shots in there. And I think if Spencer's knocking down his three ball, him playing at the top of the key like he was tonight, there's really no issue with that. So he could definitely solve the problem. Or also, like you mentioned, KD could solve the problem because he's Kevin Durant. Like, 
Yeah, uh, I think there is a, a really big chance that Spencer gets asked to do that a little bit more. But I also think it's just about, uh, as they always say, doing what the game gives you yep. at the end of the day. You know, you just read the play and, you know, there are going to be nights where Spencer's going to have to have like seven, eight, nine, ten assists, double-digit assist nights. And there are going to be nights where the offense is giving him open lanes and he can really attack. And, you know, against Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard, it's a little bit more difficult. So you have to try and create things for other guys a little bit more. Try and find guys open the perimeter, penetrate and kick out a little bit. And let Kyrie Irving sort of, you know, show off a little bit of his dancing and a little bit of his sort of skills. So it's interesting, Nick. I think that we have a lot of pieces on this roster right now that would work in a championship sort of, you know, fifth guy, sixth guy, seventh guy, even like I think Spencer Dinwiddie is a, a good enough player to be the third or fourth player on a championship team, similar with Carol Savert, depending on, you know, which guy you might go with. I don't necessarily know if both of those guys are long-term fits. Kyrie might think so, but I don't know if I think so either. But I think that it's something that we're going to have to keep on analyzing. And right now, this season doesn't necessarily matter because I think we really want to just get back on the winner's list. Yeah, I think like you're just trying to find synergy with this team, but it's almost impossible to do without Kevin Durant because he's such an impactful player. You can still have winning habits, but your scheme is going to adjust dramatically offensively. Defensively, it's going to have an impact because you're just going to have more length and size out there. So, But Jack, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Oh, I just want to win, Nick. I'm uh, craving for it. And thanks for everyone joining us back with this thing. I think we're going to do it a little bit more. We we miss the live stuff. We miss going bang, bang right after the games. And we always have a lot of fun with them. Thanks for everyone that's interacted or watched this thing. We're still going to be doing those pods. Those pods are going to be coming out to you. So they'll be here. Plenty of content coming your way. We're just trying to keep it fresh, keep it up to date, and uh, keep that net content coming. Yeah, we might even roll out some cool features with this. We're just kind of testing it out and getting the best ideas we can. But like Jack mentioned, we always appreciate you. And you can find the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, Naturopolic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.